So we're in week three of a four-part sermon series on the ECC rule of life. Or as a reminder, they are not rules of life or for life, but a rule for life, a guide for living well, for living wisely in God's kingdom. And maybe news to you, but all of us already have a rule of life. It may not be written down. You may not know what it is, but you have one. We eat at certain times. We go to work or school. We budget time for homework or for hobbies or exercise. We may have a set time we go to bed, a set time we wake up in the morning. We may designate time for reading or Sunday afternoon football. We all have a rule of life already. What we're asking is that we would intentionally shape that rule into one that will shape us for God's kingdom and for our mission here at ECC. We're inviting you to an intentional way of life that forms us into people who would live as Christ would live if he were you. We're inviting you into an intentional way of life that would form us as people, you as people, uh, to live in a way that Christ would live if he were you. Our rule has five markers. Apprenticeship, worship, community, service, and generosity, so that you don't hear me say community service. Community, comma, service. Last week we looked at worship, we looked at community. This week we're looking at service and generosity. We'll finish up next week with apprenticeship. We've been likening our transformational journey here to hiking the Appalachian Trail, with each of these components being uh, the white blazes that you find painted on trees and rocks along that trail to keep you on the path. If we stay on the trail, if if we follow the blazes and not get off the trail, we walk and we move toward our own transformation of the Christ being formed in us. Now, we often in the Christian world will say things like, we need to be, we want to be more Christ-like, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. However, the imagery that the Apostle Paul uses in one particular place gets at something a bit more profound. In, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, in his instructions to the people of the congregation who are being led astray by false teaching, Paul expresses his concern as if he was a woman in labor. Galatians four nineteen and 20. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. For Paul, it isn't merely about becoming Christ-like. It's about having Christ more fully formed within. It's not just about imitating Christ. It's about having the very nature of Christ within us, filling us up and overflowing into our lives, into our relationships, into our way in the world. And Paul speaks of the collective you, plural. Christ is formed in the church body. That is not to say that he's not also being formed in us as individuals. He is. But something different and more powerful happens in us as Christ's body, as the church. We don't just become like Jesus. We carry the presence of Jesus with us. That's what our ECC rule of life is all about. Having Christ formed within us as a congregation as a community of believers, so that we might more faithfully and fully demonstrate God's presence and God's kingdom in the world. Staying with this imagery of each of these markers as white blazes on the trail, let's begin with service. The Apostle Paul begins 1 Corinthians 12 saying that he doesn't want them to be uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, spiritual gifts are Holy Spirit empowered manifestations or abilities given to each of us for the purpose of mission. It probably goes a bit too far to call them superpowers, but you get what I'm 
what I'm trying to say here. Paul begins to expound on these gifts in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God is at work in all of us by the presence and the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but they all come to us from the Holy Spirit. They are given, he says, for the common good. Whose common good? Initially, in our case, our common good. ECC's common good. We will uh, experience this common good. We will be done good as a congregation when each of us discovers and develops and uses our spiritual gifts we will become more of who God intends us to be. And then, as we become who God intends us to be, a church in whom Christ is more fully formed, we will then be able to bear witness to the kingdom of God in the world. And all of creation will flourish. Our transformation transforms the world. It begins with our common good, but then overflows to bless and nourish our community and our world as well for their common good. Paul says something similar over in Ephesians 4. These gifts are given, verses 12 and 13, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When we use our gifts as a congregation, as a body, something wonderful happens. We become more unified, we become more mature. And get this, we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How much of the fullness of Christ do you want? Half a measure? Three quarters of a measure? Or the full measure? The question pretty much answers itself. And if that's what we want, it's going to require some effort on our part. Discovering how God has gifted us, finding a place to faithfully serve in that gifting is transformative for us as individuals and for us as a congregation. Serving is not just a way to get things done. It is a way to become more mature and to experience a fuller measure of Christ within us. This past week we said goodbye to Debbie Trella. She left us way too soon. And when she and her husband Jeff first came to ECC a few years ago, it was after a very long friendship with Pastor Kurt and Joe Kincannon. And when they finally landed at ECC, they jumped right in, they began to serve in all sorts of ways, and eventually they professed their faith in Christ and they joined ECC in 2018. At Debbie's service earlier this week, Pastor Kurt stated that if someone were to come to him and to say that they really didn't know how to get better connected at ECC, and I can tell you as a pastor, we hear that all the time. I don't feel very connected. He would say to them, do what Jeff and Debbie did. Just jump in and start serving. For that is where relationships are built. That is where true community is built. And that is where transformation can take place, as it did with Debbie and Jeff. In addition to our own transformation, of course, when we do our part, when we work together, we get better as a congregation. We get better. 
Going back to Ephesians 4, Paul continues this theme of transformation, saying that Christ is the head of the body. Then he says in verse 16 of Ephesians 4, for him, the whole, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We become more mature, unified, and loving. And the fullness of Christ within us grows. When? As each part does its work. Let's follow the logic here. If some of us are not discovering and developing and using our spiritual gifts here at ECC, we as a church are not fully formed. We are not fully who God desires that we would become. We miss out. And that in turn impacts our mission and our witness in the world as each part does its work. I'm going to show you a comparison, I don't even remember, like this came to me this week and I don't even remember how I found it, but I stumbled upon this, I want to show you this. Comparison of pit crews and their activity comparing crews from 1950, 2013, and 2023. Take a look. Moore himself changes the tires. Only four crew members, including the driver, are allowed to work on the car. It's a tense time. Holland stays in his seat, anxious to get away. Let's watch. Tires are changed at last. A crewman polishes the windshield as Holland moves away just 67 seconds after he stops. Obviously, technology has changed. <laughs> My favorite part is the guy with the tire and going whack, whack. <laughs> but for me, it's the sheer number of the crew and their specialized tasks that impact me the most. Between 1950 and 2013, pit crews went from four people to more than 20. You put that slide up there, look at that. It's a fantastic picture of what the church can be as each part does its work. More people doing the work, and the work is done better. The pit crew in 1950 took 67 seconds to get the car back out on the track, but it felt like an eternity, didn't it? This dude's not winning. He's not winning. In 2013, uh, the footage, it took four seconds, and in 2023, 1.82 seconds... 
was a great world record. You saw it set a world record until it was broken later that year, 1.8 seconds. I don't think it's possible to do any faster, but we'll see. How? Because every member of the crew does their job. Even those, jokingly we said it, technology's improved, they're part of it too. They're doing their work behind the scenes. They are a part of it too. We have plenty of places to serve at ECC. Places where you can just jump in. And while we all have gifts and talents, it is, in my opinion, not necessary for us to take any number of all these spiritual gifts assessments that are out there. They've only been around about 50 years, which means almost 2,000 years for almost 2,000. We did fine without assessments. We just figured it out. Jump in. Serve. Ask people who know you what they think your gift is. Discover them. Use them. If we are able to serve, and I know that not everybody is, if we are able to serve, but are not serving in some way, we are missing out. And we are like a missing member of the pit crew in that video. If we want to most faithfully bear witness to God's kingdom in the world, it will be because we are becoming healthier, more unified, more mature, and because we are more and more attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And that, Scripture teaches us, happens when we do our part. When each of us contributes to the mission, we need you. The next white blaze on the trail is generosity. Generosity is also about our transformation and doing our part. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul writes about funds that he is collecting on behalf of the church in Jerusalem whose members are suffering the painful effects of a famine. He's urging the Corinthian church to keep this generous pledge or promise they've made to contribute to the relief effort. Paul urges them to be intentional about their giving to this fund. His instructions in that context can be guidelines for all of our giving as well. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 7 and 8. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. A couple of weeks ago, I stated that one of the helpful sort of mantras that we've learned as staff over the past few years is that we need to move from intuitive to intentional. Move from intuitive to intentional. This refers to our transformation. It refers to our strategic initiatives uh, and our giving. We need to move from giving only when we feel led to give or guilted into giving to giving as a matter of purpose, intention. And joy, God loves a cheerful giver. Paul tells us we should decide in our hearts what we should give and we should follow through. Planning our giving is central to what Scripture teaches us about generosity and giving. Andy Stanley suggests that uh, such giving involves what he calls the three P's of giving. It bugs me to no end that these are not grammatically parallel. I would really like to talk to him about this. Can we change these up a little bit? But they're his, not mine. Prioritize, percentage, and progressive. To prioritize our giving is to plan to do it right off the top. Make it a part of your budget that you figure out first. It's easier to prioritize groceries or our Netflix bill, but biblical giving tells us that we are to take, take that giving off the top. What it refers to is the first fruits of the harvest. 
Once we make our giving a priority, we lean into the second word beginning with the letter P, percentage. We often talk about tithe as giving 10% of our income. That comes from the book of Leviticus, where the people are told to give 10% of their income to support the work of the priests. And I do think that setting 10% as a goal is a good way to help us move toward the kind of giving that we need to pursue that Scripture teaches. However, the tithe is never commanded in the New Testament. What is taught is yet another word that begins with the letter P. This is not Andy Stanley's word. Again, if I talk to him, when he calls me to ask my opinion on something, I will tell him, you need to add this one. And that's proportional. Proportional. If we jump back to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, chapter 16, we read this. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. In keeping with your income, there is grace for those of us who cannot manage to give as much as we might like to give. There is grace. So while setting a goal of 10% is a good goal, and I encourage it, I also know that we can't always get there right away. The call of Scripture is to set aside a sum of money that is in keeping with our income, and then to be faithful in our follow-through. Give what we have decided in our hearts to give. Some of us, of course, have perhaps been giving 10% for years. But maybe our income is such that we might prayerfully consider giving at a higher percentage. That's when we get to the final word that begins with the letter P, progressive. This, too, is a biblical approach to giving. Some of us may need to consider if God might be challenging us to increase our percentage. The last two years here at ECC, when we have set our budget and voted on it, we have budgeted a loss. We have budgeted a loss. We have done this in faith that God will provide for the vision we believe that God has given us. We have done this intending to steward faithfully over some of our reserves, supplying that loss when necessary. And we, the leadership and the congregation, have done this to meet the vision and aggressively staff for growth. Our year-to-date giving... For the fiscal year that began in July 1st, 2023, is 95% of the plan for that period of time, and our expenses are at 97% of the plan. We are currently just $10,000 under that plan through the first six months. We are trusting in God's provision not only to getting back on plan, but to beating that planned loss this year. And I remind us all that over the rest of this year and in coming years, we need to do better than that plan. We need to close the gap between planned income and planned expenses. And we do that by moving to more intentional, planned, prioritized, percentage-based, progressive giving. Pastor Kurt is going to give a more detailed account uh, uh, today at our congregational meeting after the service, so we hope you'll you'll, uh, join us. Altogether, giving is to be intentional, planned, generous, and faithful. And just like the other blazes we've been looking at over the past three weeks, when we come together with each of us doing our part in service and in generosity, we will more and more become united, mature, and attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ and effectively bearing witness to the kingdom of God in the world. It's okay that the baby's crying. I know some of you are crying inside saying, will you stop talking about giving, please? In a minute, I will. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Run with the Horses, likens our journey into generosity to that of eaglets learning to fly. He tells of watching eaglets hatch, and then when the time came, the mother pushing them out of the nest one by one. All of them flew, he says, except for one. 
This one, he, he steadfastly refused, clinging tightly to anything he could find. And after he was pecked and nudged, however, he eventually let go and began to fly. Peterson writes this, quoting him. Birds have feet and can walk. Birds have talons and can grasp a branch securely. They can walk. They can cling. But flying is their characteristic action. And not until they fly are they living at their best, gracefully and beautifully. Giving is what we do best. It is the air into which we were born. It is the action that was designed into us before our birth. End of quote. In other words, human beings were born to be giving, generous creatures. It's in our DNA. Put another way, if our God is a self-giving God, and Scripture is clear that He is, and if we are made in God's image, then we were indeed born to give. We were meant to soar in both service and generosity. What step might God be nudging you to take in these areas? If you want to discover a place to serve, I suggest you go to ecclife.net slash serve. Let us know of your interest, and we will reach out to you. If you've never really given a lot of thought to giving and generosity, what's one step you can take to discover more of what God made you to be? Do you need to determine what you currently give and prayerfully decide in your heart a percentage that you should give each month or maybe raise it a percentage point? Do you simply need to start giving? Or maybe you've been giving faithfully for most of your adult life. Is it time to ask God if God might have something more progressively generous in mind for you? I don't know what the next step is for any of you. You are the ones who need to decide in your heart what to give. The same is true of the call to serve. All we ask is that you ask of God, what next? What next? Because if we are to be faithful and successful in our mission to become a community of people who know God and follow Jesus and pursue God's purposes in the world, it is necessary for us to grow in service and in generosity. Now, if my words about serving and giving today have made you feel a bit like that eaglet Eugene Peterson was talking about being pecked and nudged a little more than you wanted to when you came to church this morning, my prayer is that you, that we, will discover that this is what we were made for. Giving and serving. My prayer is that whatever step God leads you to take these things, you will take that step and find greater joy as these things become more and more a part of your life, as we together become more mature, more unified, as we experience more and more of the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, and that together we too will soar. Would you pray with me as we close? Good and gracious God, you are the self-giving God. You are the one who has given us all that we have, all that we are. All of these things are grace. All of these things are gifts. Help us to see that, Lord, to know that, and then to respond to you out of gratitude. God, I pray for each of us here, wherever we might be, I pray against any sense of condemnation or guilt. I pray for freedom in Christ. I pray for grace. But if you are speaking to us, Lord, of even the smallest step, give us the grace to receive that step and take that step, whatever it might be. Above all, Lord, we ask that you would just continue to make us into the people you know we are deep down and we can become for your purposes, for your will, for your mission, and for our common good and that of our community. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus.
Amen.